1: Welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and once again, it's Friday morning, which means another new episode for you, as I am recording this about 14 or 15 hours before it's due, right? So I launch it at 7 a.m., and uh, it's 4 o'clock here on Thursday afternoon, and normally I don't record this late in the week, but uh, circumstances have pressed me to push this back uh, on top of just not really feeling good all week. It's been kind of a a roller coaster of a ride. Um, I had a chaplain interview this morning, which I think made me really nervous Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. And, uh, you know, hopefully it went well. I think it went well. I'll find out hopefully tomorrow. And uh, so it's a a chaplain. It's a hospice position. So I'd be going around to people uh, end of lives and uh, talking with them, answering questions, things of that sort. So uh, something I'm very much interested in doing because uh, I'm a pastor, and so I think this would be a good compliment to my ministry. And so I, I think I was a little nervous for that. That was part of the reason. I think I might have eaten something funky um, over the weekend or something that just kind of did not set with me well, been fighting headaches, all the sort. So I just like uh, kept putting it off, putting it off. But here it is Thursday afternoon, and I've got to get this knocked out. i got to get my um, sermon written as well for Sunday. We're going to be talking a little bit about some eschatology, which is everybody's favorite subject. Uh, I got my book sent off to the publisher on Tuesday, so I spent a whole bunch of time over the weekend, and that could also have elevated to that. Spent a lot of time doing minor edits, little tweaks and revisions, changes. In fact, uh, my first rough draft had like something almost like 43,000 words in it, And then I uh, limited it down to just over 40,000, so I cut out a lot of fat, a lot of unnecessary words, revised a lot of sentences, made a lot of changes, and I hope uh, that it is um, good. And the people that I have had kind of test read it with me have all liked it so far, so I think that's a positive note, and I hope they're just not, you know, trying to butter me up, but, uh, you know, I am looking for real feedback, so I'm hoping that... uh, this is, you know, that type of feedback. But anyways, uh, we are pretty much shoulder deep, maybe maybe chest deep now, in the Gospel of Matthew. We're beginning chapter 16. We have um, just a handful more chapters, about 12 in total, uh, if we include 16 in this. Uh, today, we're going to probably look at two passages. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. So we're going to look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees demanding signs. And then we'll move on to the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So kind of a, a joint connected uh, set of scripture. Uh, and then we're going to move on next week and we're going to talk about um, Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ. And depending on our time, I might include the foretelling of his death and resurrection and taking up your cross and follow me. So we'll we'll do those final three sections in uh, in two episodes and how we divvy that up. I'll I'll kind of cross that bridge next Thursday when I get there. Or next week, or whatever, Tuesday, Monday, whenever I record. So, here we go. Let's dig into the text at hand, because obviously that's what we're here to do. Uh, Not about to uh, uh, fluff and provide a bunch of unnecessary content. So, let's get into it. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked... Him, Jesus, to show them a sign from heaven and answer them, When is it evening? You say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you do not and cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given. To it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and departed. And when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you a little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves and for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Here is the end of our gospel reading. For today, let's dig into the content and uh, see what is going on here for us. So once again, we meet the Pharisees and Sadducees as they come to Jesus. And again, to test Jesus, they seek a sign. Very similar to how Satan always tried to tempt Jesus or really any of the opponents of Jesus try to tempt him. They want a sign. They want something tangible, something that's, um, you know, going to be distinguishable to prove that he is, in fact, the Son of God. And interestingly enough, we see a lot of this coming into the Pentecostal movement today. And uh, we see a lot of this, like, demand for signs in order to be a, quote-unquote, spirit-filled Christian. And you can't be a real Christian if you can't do X, Y, and Z. And in their eyes, it's speak in tongues, it's prophesy, or it's heal. One of those three categories you must complete, or you're not truly a spirit-filled Christian. And I think that's very dangerous teaching, especially this whole debate with all these really crazy people on Instagram right now, on um, a couple pages I follow, and they're just going off the deep end. One of the videos uh, comes from the Holy Nope, and he Uh, put a video of this guy taking a swig of water and then spinning it into another mouth. And there are people that defend that. I mean, how atrocious does your theology have to be to defend something so outrageous? Just blows my mind. But this is that wicked and adulterous generation. They seek for these signs. And the Pharisees and Sadducees here come to tempt Jesus again to perform some sort of miracle, some sort of sign from heaven. But then Jesus goes on to say, instead of obviously answering them, he provides this statement. He goes, well, when it is evening, you say it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. But in the morning, it will be a stormy day because the sky is red and threatening. So the sky is red is a common and helpful way to anticipate fair weather or potentially even a storm. So they have the ability to read the weather but they don't have the ability to depict who the, this man is in front of them. They cannot distinguish that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so, you know, they can they can do all these things, but they miss out on who Jesus is. Uh, the opponents of Christ were often blind to the spiritual signs of the times. And again, you know, somebody chimed in saying about how um, Jesus even said that that his believers will go and do greater greater signs than what he is. Jesus isn't talking about the things that he's done. Jesus is God, and he established that, and he gave those gifts to the to the apostles, and so they were isolated to the apostolic age, that being healing and casting out demons. There's not very much prophetic writing outside of uh, just a little bit of Paul, a little bit of Peter, and John's book of Revelation. Jesus does most of the prophetic speaking In regards to the Olivet Discourse and things like that, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, his second coming, those are things that Jesus is prophesying. Obviously, if he's saying it, it's going to happen. John reiterates that as he is echoing Matthew 24, 25, Mark 13, Luke 21 as he writes the book of Revelation. And I dig into all that material in this series on the show through uh, the series on eschatology. So there's not a whole lot of prophecy, but we do see healing and we do see it um, isolated mostly to Jesus and a little bit to the apostles. Now, interestingly enough, after a certain portion in the book of Acts, the healing conversations stop. We don't see it very often throughout the rest of the New Testament. In fact, after the apostles die, there is no more continuation of these gifts, the prophesying, the speaking in tongues, and the healing. And the early church fathers don't really even pay too much attention to it. They have other things they're focusing on. That's the spreading of the gospel. In fact, that is the greater sign, is the spreading of the gospel into the four corners of the world. And yet people continue to make a mockery of the gospel by seeking signs and tempting Jesus, essentially, to say, Well, you know, you said we would do this, and you're obviously, you know, that guy can't, so he can't be a true follower. And I think that's a very uh, bold statement to say. And so, simply enough, this wicked, evil, and adulterous generation always seek a sign. And I don't think this statement's necessarily just isolated to the Pharisees and Sadducees as Jesus makes it here. But it's a very broad statement, not only to them, but to all who make these demands. So Jesus points the Jews to his day. Uh, which would be the sign of Jonah, his death and resurrection. St. Paul writes that the Jews demanded the signs, but we preach Christ crucified. So the day, the sign of Jonah uh, is often depicted as the three days in the grave. So we've done a lot of conversation about that text throughout this time in the show. And we digged, dug into Jonah. We used this verse as kind of a... A standing point at one of, one of those sections. So you can go back to listen to the Jonah series, and we talk about the sign of Jonah. You know, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days. And so that is what Jesus is referring to, his death and his resurrection. That is what is happening. That will be the sign of all signs. That will be the end-all be-all, right? Is the death and resurrection of Christ. As Paul writes, You seek the signs, we preach Christ crucified. That is the greatest sign you could possibly have. And so, that is verses 1 through 4. Very short, very simple, very sweet, to the point. And let's move on, right? Uh, We could harp on this all we want, but really, it's just beating the dead horse into the ground. The Pharisees and Sadducees are wicked. People who continue to demand signs today are in that same category, an evil and wicked, adulterous generation. They seek something that isn't necessarily going to be given when they are demanding it. And so Jesus makes that iteration. The only thing you will see as a sign will be my death and resurrection. So then he goes to the other side. So this is the northern shore now of the Sea of Galilee. This is near Bethsaida, uh, indicated in Mark 8, verses 22. And the disciples Their thoughts, obviously, are focused on food. They fail to bring bread, and they make that statement. They forgot to bring bread, and Jesus says to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, being human, the disciples think to themselves, well, why is he talking about bread? We forgot the bread, and now he's talking about the leaven, which you know makes the bread rise, and that's why when you have unleavened bread, there's no yeast in it. And the bread doesn't rise. And this is what we make for our communion bread, unleavened bread. Uh, and it doesn't rise. It's just a few sh- simple ingredients. It takes about 10 or so minutes to make in the oven. And then it's just a flat sheet. It's like flat bread, basically. And uh, so the equation here that Jesus is providing is crucial because Jesus isn't talking about bread. In fact, what he's talking about is the teaching. That's how Matthew records it there in verse 12. He's saying, beware of the way these t- these these individuals teach. Be aware of their falsehood, right? So we just had a conversation about how the Pharisees and the Sadducees sought science. Now, there's a movie that just came out. Uh, you can get it on Prime Video. You can rent it. You can buy it. Uh, I would recommend you go and do so. Um, I am myself a Satanist. I do not believe the apostolic gifts have continued past the ap- the uh, the apostles and through the apostolic age i believe they've ceased they've completed their job they've done what they were in- intended to do and they are not given out to the next generation i also believe the offices of prophet and apostle have ceased hebrews 1 makes it very clear that there are no more prophets that need to come it is only christ there are no more apostles that need to be, that need to come paul um was the last initiated apostle John was the last living apostle who died around 100 AD no more apostles no more prophets those two offices have closed now you could argue and i would respectfully be interested the notion in a uh, definition to apostle simply means messenger well that's good but we also have a new name for that and that's bishop deacon or pastor or reverend or whatever title you want to give to you know preachers today the preacher is what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 10 being sent by God to preach the good news so the preacher me is the new mouthpiece of God we are relaying the words of Christ into the ears of our congregation and into the people that we visit that is our job you can call us apostles but we aren't going to take the title our title is pastor or bishop or deacon or whatever Role we may have in the church. We don't go out and actively seek the title of apostle. So be very clear on that. Those offices have closed, the gifts have ceased. So this movie highly digs into that concept that the gifts cease after the apostolic age. And yet it is very quiet in the church age for a very long time. Uh, The reformers, Luther and and Calvin and all these guys that came out against the Roman Catholic Church sought to make the statement that these gifts no longer are in use. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church was a little less strict on it. They had some leniencies towards certain gifts coming, but not such in the way that the Pentecostal Church has today. So we should be clear that the Roman Catholic Church often saw miracles from dead saints or they saw it through depictions of Mary, things of that nature. But these weren't pastoral or apostolic type gifts. They weren't going around speaking in gibberish. Now, the other thing I should say too is the the gifts today are are a mockery of what was given in the in the New Testament. And I say that because you are not going in and clearing out the hospital wards and healing sick children. They don't do that they stand on stage and they um, pay or they have these crowds you know pay for a certain type of event and they're and they're uh, cherry picked out to you know create some sort of psychosomatic feeling uh, some euphoric feeling an adrenaline rush and that adrenaline that euphoric feeling is going to be what quote-unquote, heals them. But they're not going to have anything of significance. They're not going to have, um, you know, disabilities to where they are paralyzed or they can't speak, literally can't speak, and can't uh, talk or hear or anything, right? They can't see. Those are miracles, quote-unquote, that they will tell you to go pray for. The Benny Hinn ministry is very good at that. Just pray for it, and if you have enough faith, God will heal you. But what they want are people who have headaches, and achy joints, and a hurt back, and a leg that's shorter than the other, right? Because it's all theatrics in the end. And what bugs me is how these modern Pentecostal people make a mockery out of that. They, they are picking right up with the Pharisees and Sadducees and preaching a false gospel. They are teaching something that is unbiblical. And this video that the Holy Note put out, Um, showed that preacher spitting a whole mouthful of water and spit into another person's mouth and that person falling back and there are tons of people trying to defend it and they're even saying well jesus spit into the mud and brought it and put it into people's eyes yeah yeah that's jesus and he did so one because he's god and can do it two he is doing it to initiate his giving of himself in a sacrament, making the mud a sacrament now, touching the blind man, or whether he spits on his fingers and touches the tongue of the other person. These are the things that the Son of God can do, but preachers have no power. We do not make a sacrament out of our, out of our saliva. It is Christ who did it, not us. And I, it just drives me up the wall. When people do this sort of thing and it just makes a mockery out of the gospel. And then, the, and then they go to the farthest extent of defending that. And so I say these two passages are highly connected because Jesus is warning his disciples, be aware of them. Then he goes on to say, oh, you little faith, because, again, they're confused. They don't understand. Well, they, we, brought bread. we didn't bring bread, and now you're talking to us about leavened Pharisees? What does that have to do with the price of eggs in China here, Jesus? And so he goes on and says, you guys have little faith, as always. He's always chastising his disciples because they struggle, just as all people do from time to time. And it's not until after the death and resurrection of Jesus that they truly are triumphant in their faith. And, you know, this, like I said, the same goes for us, right? We, we, we struggle often, and we were unable to partake in the death and resurrection visually to see Christ. And now we have faith because we hear and we believe. And Jesus tells us that blessed are those who believe but have yet not seen. And I would certainly say that there are many miracles in this world And whether or not that's sending the right person at the right time to console a grieving person or whether it's God healing uh, somebody miraculously, I certainly do believe that God does absolutely heal miraculously. I just don't believe he's doing so through the circus performance and the stage puppets uh, that these false teachers just love to go after. So uh, he goes on here and he's comparing these false teachers to leaven bread, because he says, do you not perceive, do you remember of the five loaves of bread feeding the 5,000, and the seven loaves feeding the 4,000, and how many baskets you had left over? So he draws back that comparison. Don't you remember these things just happened? And he's saying, "How, how could you forget? Oh, you of little faith. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they finally understand that Jesus is actually talking about their teaching. And so it's, again, another simple and straightforward passage. But I think it pays us well to understand the complexities of these false teachers. Because they will do everything and anything to try and make themselves look like they are sent from Christ. They will do whatever it takes to make them look like they are authentically preachers, pastors, or apostles, or prophets. And, you know, anytime you see like prophetess, or prophet blah blah blah, or apostle blah blah blah, just laugh at it and move on with your life. Because you are—you will do yourself a huge disservice if you succumb to that garbage and, and I see it all of the time. And even still, like on a lot of the posts, it doesn't even have to be, you know, a particular person making a post. It could just be like one of those generic Christian, you know, things that, you know, Jesus wants you to do these things. Well, sure, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is believe under the Lord Jesus Christ that he died and rose from the grave and he forgives you of your sins. That is the gospel. Everything else you do is supplemental to it. Everything you do from there is because Christ has given you the ability to do so. But it does not give you more salvation. It doesn't give you more faith. It doesn't do anything. It's supplemental in the, in the concept that it helps others around you. And in fact, it can be supplemental to the extent that it helps other people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior because they see him working through you. So, in fact, that's the next topic we'll talk about next week is Peter professing Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what the church will be built on. Not Peter. Sorry for you Roman Catholics out there. Peter is not the first Pope, but it's the confession that Peter gives that is the the establishment, the foundation of the church. So I know I got a couple Catholic friends out there. I love you guys. Um, But that's, I've read that passage a thousand times. and, And really the last probably couple of years I've really focused solely on that portion. On this rock, not referring to Peter, but referring to Peter's confession. This is what the church will be built on, because you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. So we'll dig into that uh, much deeper next week. So a short episode this week, guys. I, I know I, I like I said, I kind of kicked the bucket down the road this week, and and but I think if all I do is keep hammering on these eleven. Uh, 12 verses, I'm just going to beat that dead horse into the ground. And I don't want to do that for you. Simple, straightforward stuff. Nothing too complex. Um, And and I'm going to let you guys have the last seven and a half minutes or whatever of your day here. I want you guys to enjoy it. And it's fall weather, so hopefully you're outside enjoying that cool, crisp afternoon or driving wherever you go. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Get into church, and I will see you all next week. God bless and have a great weekend.